Hello and welcome to the Orion Open Science Podcast. I'm Emma Harris. I'm Louisa Bengtsson. And we're broadcasting to you from Berlin, Germany. Today's guest is Stefano Bertozzi. He is a Dean Emeritus and Professor of Health and Policy and Management at the UC Berkeley School of Public Health. He has previously directed the HIV and tuberculosis programs at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundations. And among other roles, he was also a last, the last director of the WHO Global Program on AIDS. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, uh, quite an accomplished scientific career, I must say, uh, and otherwise. And the reason why we're talking to him is because his newest role is the editor-in-chief of a new journal from MIT Press, the Rapid Reviews. And what it is about and what it has to do with open science, well, let him tell us. So my name is Stefano Bertozzi, and I'm a professor at the School of Public Health at the University of California, Berkeley, in Berkeley, California. And I'm very pleased because I've been asked by the MIT Press to lead an effort um, to develop this new journal, Rapid Reviews COVID-19, which is a collaboration between the MIT Press and Berkeley. Okay. And uh, we are also very excited to hear about this journal because it has a lot to do with open access and preprints and rapid information processing. So can you please tell us a bit more about the journal? Well, it's something called an overlay journal, which I had not heard of before engaging in this process. And really what it was designed to do was to address the fact that we have lots and lots of information being put up on preprint servers by authors in advance of publication. And normally, when manuscripts are submitted to journals for publication, they go through a peer review process that helps to validate or debunk the information in that manuscript. But of course, by putting things up on preprint servers before peer review, it means that people don't know how much confidence to have in, the, in what's in that, that uh, manuscript. And because COVID is so urgent, people are starting to act on those results without waiting for peer review. And that's normal, logical, and in fact expected. So what we, the question the MIT Press asked was, what could we do to evaluate those manuscripts more quickly than the traditional peer review system? And when you think about the peer review system, it's not just that you send a manuscript to a journal and they send it out for peer review. If that journal decides not to publish it, then you start over again with a new journal. So it can take a very long time before a manuscript um, actually is published with peer review. So what we, what we agreed to do with MIT was to say, let's flip this on its head. Let's do the peer reviews before a manuscript is submitted for publication. And so what we're going to do is identify those manuscripts that we think are potentially important and send them out for immediate peer review and post those peer reviews so that everybody can see them. Then the authors can decide what journal they want to submit it to. And that journal can, in fact, use the peer reviews to accelerate the process of deciding whether they want to publish the article or not. In addition, if we like it, if we get good peer reviews and we like the manuscript, we'll also give the authors the option of publishing it with us. But they're under absolutely no obligation to do that. They can publish it wherever they want. And the, the peer reviews will be open and public, and they can take them wherever they want. 
Okay, so but the, the journal Rapid Reviews, um, that's basically the peer reviews publishing, it, right? It's both. Okay. So it, it'll be initially, we're certainly focusing on the peer reviews. And the other thing that's different is that each of those peer reviews will be a published object so that the authors will get credit for it. You can cite the review and we'll also give authors the opportunity to publish a response to the reviews as another published object. And of course, the authors can also revise their manuscript and post a revised manuscript that takes into account the comments that they've gotten from reviewers. But I mean, this sounds like an amazing solution to everything that the open science movement has been dreaming of, right? So you combine the power of preprint, the, the immediate access, the no costs, essentially, the um, copyright issues uh, with a peer review. And you also give credit for the peer review and it's not anonymous. And um, yeah, I mean, it kind of sounds like an amazing uh idea um so is this something i mean first of all what's the caveat is there any <laughs> and if there isn't any um why isn't that this has been done before but then also how do you choose the articles to review and what's the ai part because i read, read in the press release there is the ai aided um, review process well i have to say that <clears throat> this isn't my field so you you probably know better than I do what else is happening. But I can tell you that I was quite familiar because I've done reviewing for them and because I worked there for four years with the Gates Foundation's effort on open research. So it's a similar concept. Um, it's different in a couple of important ways. One is that it's a platform for their grantees to publish, not for anybody, and it's not topic-specific. It's really anything that the Gates Foundation funds. Uh, the second thing that's different about it is that it's also a preprint server. So it basically is providing to their grantees a preprint server that they can upload manuscripts on. What's similar to our effort is that they then seek peer reviews for those manuscripts and publish the peer reviews. And so I was familiar with that effort. I've been a peer reviewer for them. And, and I thought that um, this, this concept was one that was very compatible with, with what MIT was trying to do. And then in the discussions with MIT, I also said, listen, it's going to be easier to get people to serve on an editorial board, and it's going to get easier people to peer review if they think there's also a direct line to actually publishing the paper. And so we agreed that in addition to publishing the peer reviews, we would identify papers of the ones that we peer review that we would also like to offer publication to. Now, that's kind of a weird thing in publishing, because as you're well aware, authors are forbidden from submitting a manuscript to more than one journal at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. So they're not violating that with us because they've never submitted their paper to us. But they could take their manuscript to The Lancet knowing that if The Lancet says no, they've got a guaranteed yes from us because we've already told them we would publish it. So it's a, it puts authors in a different position than they have been historically. And let me ask you, and let me answer the other question that you asked, which is, um, why, isn't, why isn't this appropriate for everything? Well, for one, I've got to acknowledge our gratitude to the Patrick McGovern Foundation because they've given us a $350,000 grant to make this possible. So this isn't free, right? And so you can't mm. do it for everything for free. You've got to have somebody who's willing to pay for it. And the second thing is that I think there are areas where the urgency that we're trying to address with COVID is more important than others. Right, so that'll be one of our criteria uh, in terms of which papers that we which manuscripts we select to, to peer review. Mm -hmm. 
now the AI part. Well, that's also okay. interesting. So <laughs> let me start with your broader question of how are we going to select yeah. what we're going to review, and then AI is part of that. So um, <clears throat> AI can do a couple of things for us. Um, one is that this is this journal is all about COVID, but it's not discipline specific, right? Most journals are discipline specific, and sometimes they're also you know um, topic specific, right? Like AIDS, for example. In this case, we're topic specific, but completely discipline agnostic. So we're interested in everything from anthropology to engineering, public health, clinical medicine, sociology, you name it. If it if it's about COVID and it appears on a preprint server somewhere, <clears throat> and by the way, we're being very um, very inclusive of what we mean by a preprint server. It, could be, it can be anywhere where something is published in advance of a peer-reviewed publication or shared in advance of a peer-reviewed publication. For example, I don't think that the um, National Bureau of Economic Research, which posts working papers, would have characterized themselves 10 years ago as a preprint server, but we're considering it the equivalent of a preprint server, right? So places like that as well. And so what, what, which of the papers that of the hundreds that come out every day will we select for publication? Well, number one, we're going to select the ones that people are already paying attention to. So if clinicians are changing their practice, if policymakers are, are changing their decisions, if social media is lighting up or, or the, the, the mainstream press is publishing about an article that's on a preprint server, then we think it's important to either validate those results or debunk them. Okay, so that's one thing that will sort of push things up in our priority. The second is um, we have, we're working with folks in AI at the Lawrence Berkeley National Lab who, first of all, are helping us automatically categorize manuscripts by discipline and domain so that we know which peer reviewers um, uh, and which of our editorial teams should be focusing on that manuscript. Secondly, they're identifying potential peer reviewers peer reviewers for us because they can look and see what similar articles, even if they're not about COVID, are in the literature and who are the well-cited, well-respected authors of those closely related articles. So that helps us um, uh, focus on a shorter list of potential peer reviewers. And thirdly, and this is the clever and new part, and we're not sure how well it'll work, they are able with some of their tools to give us an um, a score of how innovative they think the article is. And this is based on how much it's putting together concepts which previously have not been associated with each other in the COVID response. Now, I'm, we all can have a healthy dose of skepticism about how, that, how well that will work, but if it does work, it'll be yet another factor that can help push things up in our priority list. And two other things that we're doing in terms of selecting articles. One is that there are lots of other folks out there who are doing, for example, daily digests, like the University of Washington is, on specific disciplines for what is of interest to their readers. So we might as well take advantage of the fact that they've already prioritized from several hundred biomedical and medical articles which ones they think are the most important. And finally, we are um, uh, developing a team of doctoral students, graduate students, and undergraduates who are going to be scouring the literature that comes out every day and essentially voting for which of um, of the articles that they're reading, which of the manuscripts that they're reading are most important or most interesting. And so they will be pushing up the pyramid, if you will, 
those articles or manuscripts that they are that they think are most worthy and then the editorial team will pick of, from those which ones to send to peer review oh my god this makes it even more impressive to me actually it's amazing involving the the doctoral students and the postdocs who are actually reading those papers and making their opinion i, I mean basically how do you peer review well you read an article and you understand and then you make your make up your mind but you, you you have an opinion about it right so it's amazing to use that um in the process it's um i'm impressed i must say and it really sounds like what everybody in open science movement is talking about that that's how we should be doing um the peer review like generally so well i'm excited about this sort of two-stage thing because it's a great learning experience for students right oh. mm -hmm. so so you know you're faced with an <clears throat> an article or a manuscript. And the question is, is this good enough to warrant rapid peer review? And um, what we're doing is basically saying that that filter, if two people say yes, it's like a gold star, right? Then it jumps mm. up um, in the priority and it goes from um, the initial stage review up to a higher level review. And I, you know, in theory, that's happening on a daily basis because you have a team of people who are picking the things that our algorithms are putting at the top of the list, like things that are being paid attention to in social media or things that have been pre-selected by somebody else's search mechanism. And um, then they're reviewing those. And then we ideally very quickly get those out for peer review. Now, the other thing that we have started to work on, and some of our editorial board members have encouraged us to do, is try to streamline the review process. So one of the cases that people have made is that sometimes people either take a long time to review or are reluctant to accept a review because it's too big a lift. You know, they're in the habit of doing pages and pages of detailed review. So we're trying to figure out what is the right balance between giving people sort of open text flexibility to respond how they'd like and trying to structure the review more so that it's clear that what we're really looking for is a high-quality one-page review. We're not looking for that six-page review that is going to take you a couple of weeks to get through. So getting that balance right is something that we're struggling with, and I think we'll just learn as we go. What happens when the money runs out? Like, Is this going to continue as a paid journal? or? Um... Well, the um, I could imagine that the publishing of manuscripts part could be self-funded just the same way other online journals are funded. But I don't see that that mechanism can work for the rapid review part. I think that will require either government or philanthropic support. I don't see a revenue model um, for that. I read that it goes on to PubPub, um, and I hadn't... Um really heard of that before. Could you just uh, explain a little bit what that is and how it works? Well, PubPub is an open source publishing platform that grew out of the MIT press. And um, it, it, uh, it supports collaboratively editing and publishing journals and monographs and all kinds of open access scholarly content. So I, I think it's um, a very appropriate platform for us to use for publishing both the reviews and the articles. And the idea is that, and they are actively working on this, linking to the preprint servers, right? So if you go to MedArchive or Social Archive and you see an article that's been that's been 
um, published on the preprint server, you want to see right next to it the link to the peer reviews. And our initial discussions have been very positive, and um, and I expect that, that to be a close collaboration with um, almost all of the preprint servers. There's still information being published on um, in the traditional closed journals, the peer review journals, right? Uncovered. Um, I, I assume you don't have any possibility uh, or any means to uh, text mine those articles unless, um, well, um, it's not so easy to get access to those. Um, oh, so, well, we, we absolutely are. I mean, the, the AI oh, approaches, okay. um, I mean, the, the articles that, that we're mining for peer reviewers are the published articles. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, we can also mine the preprint articles, but in terms of looking for quality reviewers, we're starting with the published articles. And mm-hmm. because we're in the university with access to all of okay. the journals, we can certainly mine them. Yeah, okay. So, but you're definitely going for the for the peer reviewers, you're going for the published articles. And for the new content, you're looking at the preprint servers. That's the... Exactly. Because that's where the new information is. Okay. Um, I was wondering, um, do you think, I mean, there's always this fear of uh, if you start using AI, a mechanism, I mean, now we have this elegant solution with the with the students, basically, at different levels, looking at kind of validating the AI um, approaches. But can you think of anything else that would make this approach a bit, like, is there any biases in it, basically, that you can think of? Well, absolutely. Um, I mean, the fact that we are going to differentially pay attention to things that are already getting attention mm-hmm. makes me worry that we miss something that should be getting attention but isn't, right? Mm-hmm. So um, every time we do more to to validate or debunk the things that are getting attention, we spend less of our peer review energy on things that we think are important, but other people haven't decided are important yet. So we have to get that balance right, um, because we want to discover the gem that and validate the gem that hasn't yet been discovered by the press or the social media. But at the same time, we want to make sure that if people are paying attention to something and changing policy on it, that we validate or debunk it as quickly as possible. So getting that balance right, and of course that's a bias, right? Mm. Well, it's a system that can be gamed, right? I mean, basically, uh, you can create a lot of social media attention um, on something. Just, yeah, I mean, doesn't have to be interesting or actually true in any way. Um, just has to be kind of sensational, right? Exactly. And now, I think in addition to that, um, somebody I've had trouble expressing the the what is the right word because people say, well, this is multidisciplinary, right? And I said, well. Most people, when they say multidisciplinary, are referring to something where multiple disciplines are collaborating on a particular study or article. Uh, In this case, it's multidisciplinary, but it's also monodisciplinary, just many different disciplines, right? Mm. So when you, whatever system you use to divide up peer review, I think that things that are truly multidisciplinary or interdisciplinary tend to suffer because the people that review them tend to be monodisciplinary and the manuscript doesn't conform to their traditions and academic standards if it actually bridges disciplines. So 
I think this is not obviously not a problem just for COVID. I think it's a problem um, across the scientific enterprise is how do we appropriately value um, interdisciplinary and multidisciplinary research? So I, I do worry about that. And I, I think that um, we need to make sure that we look for editorial board members and peer reviewers that bridge disciplines. Unfortunately, we didn't um, have a huge amount of time uh, to talk to Stefano. But one of the thing, one of the thoughts that was in my head um, was that you could maybe expand this. And I think you touched on this when you were talking to him as well. This idea of AI and peer review. I feel there's um, a possibility of, of very much expanding this and using it to because. One of the problems that we've talked about with other guests is that the amount of papers versus the amount of peer reviewers versus the amount of time and credit that they get for it, it's just not sustainable. Um, no, there's no match there whatsoever. Yeah, exactly. So possibly AI could be one one, one of many other solutions to this. Um But I mean as you say, there is there's you know this um bias. Mm problem of course and i yeah. think there has to be some kind of i mean, I think it's really nice twist with uh using or using i mean it sounds really employing easy, but you know just employing working with um students um to kind of validate the ai's decisions i think that's really cool yeah you always i think you always need the human eye at least for now the trouble with that is that they can only validate what the ai is giving to them in the first place so it's still yeah um i think yeah i mean I, I you have to give some parameters to an ai algorithm um and it's difficult you can't just sort of that inherently has a value judgment on it so the most media attention or the most prestigious or the most i don't know um yeah the most amount of authors or whatever you know you, there is inherent inherently has to be a value judgment because that's how algorithms work. So it's difficult. Yeah, but I thought I thought it was really also not a really nice twist about what he said that one of the criteria will be the innovation potential, as in uh, combining fields that have not been combined before. So having like innovation score. And we have we have this episode on blockchain coming up, and that's kind of another way to solve this problem of judgment. Yeah. Right. And I think this innovation potential, it's it's a really nice idea. And I think as long as it's clear how the judgment was made, so how those articles are selected for the review, and nobody's claiming that this is the absolute best and only way to do this, then I think it's okay if it's like fully transparent what's actually happening there. Yeah, I think transparency I think is the key. I mean, um, I think it, you have to be careful with quantitative measures of research and i think this is something that researchers have complained about but we can't keep doing what we're doing uh, especially when it comes to peer review and, and academic publishing so we have to start innovating um and i think this idea of how do we open up research but maintain the ability to judge quality and the ability to assess importance is one of the, the the key challenges that a lot of 
our guests have talked about and we ourselves have talked about, you know, in the course of the project and with researchers. Um, and in, yeah, I mean, yeah. This is, yeah, I think this is a very nice um, new way of doing altmetrics, basically. Yeah. And this is exactly what the, um, the blockchain uh, episode will be about, is like the altmetrics on, on blockchain, basically. But yeah, I mean, this is really, um, we have to be much more inclusive in um, assessing um, abilities, uh, you know, I mean, how do you choose who gets tenure and so on? It cannot be just the impact factor. It has to be more. And I think here providing people with the, basically, you know, here you get the credit for the peer review because you publish, actually, the, the peer review itself is a publication. That's, uh, that's, that's good. Oh, no, that's, that's excellent. That's really cool. I think that's really good. Um, and it's something that I, I has always flummoxed me from when I was first, you know, kind of started to understand the research system as a you know a, a graduate and a, and a doctoral uh, researcher was that okay so you do this peer review and you don't get anything for it um it it seems very odd to me so i think anything that combats that is is great um yeah i mean i think i think going back to the ai the my only other thought about that is that um the thing is, it can only work within our current system. So you can try and, and program it, for instance, to find newsworthy articles or highly cited articles. But for instance, there's a number of studies have found that men cite themselves at a much greater right, rate than women cite themselves. So if, for instance, you built an algorithm to find the most highly cited al- articles um, or the mm. most retweeted articles, you might... In- immediately have a gender bias um, just because that's how people behave and the algorithm can only reflect how people behave. Um, and then if you only have male students reviewing the AI data, so to say, um, then you just reconfirm the, yeah. the bias, right? Because they're I not mean, necessarily. Or you a new bias. Yeah, yeah exactly. Or, yeah. 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 It's really interesting, this, this bias. Um, Bias discussion. Yeah, I was thinking on social media. I mean, you know, maybe uh, in in worst case scenario, they might spend a lot of time debunking um, some stupid pseudoscience that just gets a lot of attention yeah. um, instead of actually constant. As you say, instead of like actually going for the really relevant but not so visible stuff. Yeah, I mean, I noticed that the editorial board is very diverse geographically, and they make a note of that in their initial press release that. They're aiming to try and be multi- well, uh, pan-disciplinary, I guess would be the best term, um, but also from different areas of the world um, to be more globally diverse. And I think that's something that really needs to be dealt with because, for instance, I can only imagine that the medical research in, say, at certain African countries who have dealt with the Ebola outbreaks would be very, very relevant to covid um, but if you've got this idea that our oh, African research is not as um, quali- high quality as you know the Western world or the, the developed world or whatever you want to call it, um, you might miss that. Um, so I think it's in- important to be yeah pandisciplinary and more diverse globally as well. Which you know this this um, rapid reviews COVID nineteen journal seems to be making a good faith e- effort to be both, which is great. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a really urgent problem, actually, with this um, the really this overload on information. It's not overload because any, I mean, all the research is good because it's 
helps us understand the problem better. But uh, there are actually a lot of people already addressing this. This idea there has been there has been all this um, hackathons. You know, yeah. the, uh, there was one from the German government. There was one from uh, eLife, which was not COVID related. It was already last year. Um, I mean, all kinds of like you know, let's find new solutions for science, basically. And in many cases, there have been uh, basically new ideas how to deal with the quality assessment of peer-reviewed journals and using also AI approaches. It's also not a like completely new idea. I've seen it before. Um, so, but I haven't seen it like, I mean, there, there are results coming out of those hackathons, but I haven't seen them going like, you know, yeah. basically everybody knows about it. Everybody's using it. <laughs> it's just not there. And I think this journal has the potential to be more visible. Basically, Yeah. I mean, you've got to think about where it's coming from. Um, it's coming from, you know, from MIT, from, um, from Berkeley, you know, it's, um, these are the kind of institutions that really have the resources and the um, the human resources, and you know, <laughs> obviously they got this this funding to help them as well. Um, and they have the scale, I think, is important to implement this. Um, and this actually is making me think <laughs> of another interview we've recorded, which is the the one with Dylan, <laughs> um, and and looking at institutions that are embracing open science principles at their uh, structural level, and I feel like this journal, this Rapid Reviews COVID nineteen journal, is um, in, is is being built on open access and open science principles um, from the ground up. So that's kind of at its core, and then everything organically comes out from that. Whereas I see a lot of this stuff with all the best of intentions, but it's it's trying to patch on open access and open science principles onto an existing program or an existing system um, in a sort of piecemeal way, you know? And it's, um, yeah, it's a bit like when they try and re reboot a movie franchise. <laughs> it doesn't always work. Sometimes you just got to start again. Yeah. Now, I mean, this is, uh, but I also, I think this, this system, this idea or this principle would work for other areas in science doesn't have to be i mean there are many topics so let's say immunotherapy and cancer for example there's a lot of publications about that as well also on preprint servers and um i don't see why this kind of principle should not be applicable to this topic or any other topic in the end if you just have like you have those go terms for different uh you know um organizational units in a cell for example you can also have basically terms for um you know if you just come up with categories for um for scientific uh, research which is more narrow than just cell biology or chemistry yeah. but like yeah COVID research or immunotherapy cancer or um i don't know. i mean anything basically yeah. you could you could use the same principle but yeah i mean it still does cost money yeah. so and someone has to pay. Um, but I mean, there so. was a lot of research funding around both governmental and private and philanthropic. Um, so, and a lot of it, I think, is is diverted towards paying for subscriptions for journals, for instance, or paying, um, you know, uh, to 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 publish and so forth, or paying open access. You know, journal subscriptions or what you know, um, gold open access charges, and um, so surely some of that money could be 
re-diverted uh, to uh, a system like this, which, you know, is, is I think, a much more effective and uh, innovative way of dealing with things. So, okay, so let's recap. I mean, because I, I'm, I'm really quite impressed because it's, there are so many elements yeah. in this idea that are just so, like, so open science, cool. Um, so first of all, it's a no-cost open access journal. That's okay already. Yeah. The um, reviews, the peer reviews are not anonymous yeah. and they're also being published and the authors get credits for it. Um, they are involving altmetrics in judgment of um, which articles yeah. are getting reviewed, right? Yeah. And this is done by AI algorithms. And the novelty there is that they're also judging the innovation potential yep. of an article. And then this also gets validated by undergrad students, doctoral students, and postdocs. So they basically, the, the results of the AI judgment are being voted on by, by the students, by actual people, researchers, yeah. early career researchers. And what else? Oh, and then they're available on this PubPub platform, which allows the author to then annotate the peer review so that they can they can answer if they want to. Uh, so it's more even more transparent. And also they will accept some of the ones that they peer review. They'll say, we, we would like to publish this as well. Um, and the authors are then in the position that they can send it to say, I think the example that Stefano gave was the Lancet. And then if they don't get uh, the answer they want from them. They ha already have a guaranteed yes, or they don't have to send it to anywhere else. They have an immediate publication. So some of the, the very best that they peer review will also be published in, in their journal, um, mm -hmm. which gives a sort of a wider diversity of publishing options. And this is possible because this comes from preprint servers and people who do have the copyright for the article. Well, I've just had a thought that... This essentially solves the problem that you brought up a couple of times, Louisa, which is it's all very well to have preprints, but then who are the gatekeepers for journalists and science communicators who can't necessarily be able to make the judgment as to the, the reliability of the research? Um, so I, I, I think this is a solution for that as well. Yeah. Actually, yes, totally, especially since they're looking for, looking at things that, although they're also looking at things that science journalists or journals or um, journals, news, like, newspapers has so already picked up. Yes. So that might be a bit too late. Yeah, but still, I mean, if, if you're yeah, responsible, thinking, I guess you could at least then go back and say, we published this, but actually this review raises these points. So it's not going to do anything about the tabloids, Um but the more responsible science journalism could definitely use it um, to do maybe more like rather than breaking news, more sort of features um, and breakdowns. So this seems like a real step forward. And I'm really glad we had a chance to talk to Stefano about this. Um, and I think we'll both follow it quite closely. And maybe we can do a follow up interview in, in a, a year and see if, 
they've managed to maintain the momentum that the COVID-19 crisis has provided. Um, and in fact, that's something I'm, I'm kind of wondering about a lot of things we've been talking about recently. Um, kind of will this will this last when everything goes back to normal, whatever that means. So that was it for today. Thank you very much for joining us. If you would like to get in touch, please follow us on Twitter at OOSP underscore Orion Pod. Uh, you can follow us, message us, retweet us. Uh, you can also email us directly at orion at mdc-berlin.de. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Suggest yourself or somebody else as a guest or just ask us a question. Uh, the music was composed and produced by Fabio Del Miguel. The sound mixing was done by Paolo Oliveira. And the Orion Open Science podcast is brought to you by the Orion Open Science Project, which is an EU-funded project which promotes open science. Um, we hope you enjoyed the show, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.